to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. When Christians are judging and condemning and when they're hypercritical and when you didn't do this and so they're going to, you know, attack you about that. When that kind of stuff goes on, this is what you know. You know that people aren't growing in grace because you know how you know you're growing in grace? You become gracious. It's not complicated. It's real simple. You become gracious. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Galatians. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Galatians chapter 2, verses 4 through 5, in a message titled, Contending for Grace. Now, here's Pastor Brian. He was seeking to preserve the truth of the gospel. He wanted to make sure that the pure gospel was retained. And so he fought against all of these efforts to add something to. Whenever you have Jesus plus anything, you no longer have the gospel. When it's all said and done, when we're in heaven, you know what we're going to do? We're going to praise God for his glorious grace. We're, we're going to sing. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as, shining as the sun, there's no less days to sing his praise than when we first begun. What, what are we singing? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I know it's not a Bible verse, but it's based on the truth of scripture. When we're in heaven, we're not going to be talking about how deeply spiritual we were over against that other person that wasn't so spiritual. And what are they doing here? Because, you know, they weren't as spiritual as I am. None of that conversation is going to be happening in heaven. All of us are going to just be rejoicing in God's grace. Now, Paul was contending for grace in his day. We must, as I said, at times contend for grace as well. How do we do that? Well, here's the first thing that we have to keep at the forefront. If we're going to contend for grace, we can never forget our own experience of grace. We can never forget our own experience of grace, but this is what we do at times. We forget how much grace God showed us. Oh, we could see it clearly at one time, but you know, as time goes on and we move further and further away from our old lives and further and further away from that, you know, blatant gross sin that we were involved in, as we move further away from that, sometimes we forget. We forget how sinful we really were. We forget how bad our situation really was. We lose sight of our own experience of grace. And because we forget that, we look at certain people around us and we don't think that there's necessarily enough grace for them. Because after all, look what they're doing. And after all, look at who they are. And, and yet, if we just stop and reflect on who we were, that will keep us in a place where we're experiencing the blessing of God's grace in our own lives. You know, we can, we can relive the blessing of God's grace every day by just looking back to where we were and where we are today and just thanking God for his goodness to get us there. And if we have that attitude, if we have that perspective, that will 
be the foundation for our ability to contend for grace. Now, like I said, we, we lose this at times. And, and I, I would think that all of us have had this experience. I know I have. I've had times in my life where I've just lost sight of, of the, how deep the pit really was that the Lord pulled me out of. And I see somebody that's in a pit and I think, nah, forget him, forget her. There, there, there's, there's not any hope. But then the Lord will come and remind me. He'll speak to me. You know, I, I read a great quote yesterday that correlates with this. D.A. Carson said this. He said, never, never underestimate the power of the love of God, and I would add the grace of God, to break down and transform the most amazingly hard individuals. Never underestimate God's grace. Never underestimate his love. And how this is able to break even the hardest of individuals. I put this out on Twitter yesterday, and then I noticed I got a like on it from a friend of mine who was uh, a heroin addict, a gang member, uh, a, a prisoner, and, and all of those things. And right when I saw that he liked it, I thought, oh yeah, he likes this for sure. Because <laughs> this is him. But it's me too. It's all of us. We cannot forget the pit that the Lord pulled us out of. We've got to remember that his grace, there, there's nobody that's beyond his reach. Nobody. God can reach down. And he did that for us. So we've got to remember our own experience of grace. Many years ago, when I was pastoring in London, I, there was a, a man in, who came to Christ and he was, uh, he's still a very good friend. And, uh, you know, it was probably a year and a half or so of, of him regularly being um, subjected to the gospel. And he had never grown up in any context where he had heard the gospel or anything, but he was just regularly being subjected to the gospel. And one day, and, and I would, you know, share with him and talk to him about the Lord and, you know, nothing ever really gelled with him for a long time. But, but I remember one day after the message, I saw him and he had a very disturbing look. He just looked really troubled. And I, so I went up and I said, are, I said, are you okay? I said, um, didn't you understand the message today? And he said, I did understand it. That's why I'm so troubled. He was convicted. He was convicted of sin. And he ended up giving his life to Jesus. Now, he came from a very rough uh, life growing up in London, you know, classic Londoner. So, you know, needless to say, he was fairly rough around the edges. And he was rough around the edges for quite some time. And I remember at a certain point, I remember this one day where he comes up and he says, you know, Brian, I'd like you to pray with me. And I said, okay. And so he starts to explain to me kind of the issues in his life. And he's using uh, a number of choice words that, you know, I, of course, wouldn't use because I'm a Christian. And, and I remember sort of wincing every time he'd sort of throw an expletive in there. You know, it's like, right? Okay, we want to pray about that blanking thing and this blanking thing and that blanking thing here. Oh, whoa, okay. You know, I was getting kind of, you know, feeling kind of prudish there, like, whoa, you know, I don't know about this language here. And just in a flash, as, as the Lord will do sometimes, the Lord just spoke to me and said, what is the matter with you? Why, why, why are you wincing? Why, are, why is this bothering you? And, you know, the Lord just said, look, this isn't bothering me. I'm okay. I can handle it. And you need to be able to handle this. And this is what the Lord said. Did you forget where you came from? Did you forget that every other word that used to come out of your mouth sounded like that? 
Did you forget how you grew up and the, you know, did, did you forget your background and all that? And I had to say at that moment, yes, I had kind of forgotten that. And the Lord had to remind me of my own experience of grace and how he saved me and how he was just patiently bringing me along in my life. So never forget your own experience of grace. Secondly, see if we're gonna, this is my point. If we're gonna contend for grace, we've gotta be having our own experience of grace. And so secondly, we need to meditate on the life of Jesus and the great declarations of God's grace in the epistles, especially Romans, Galatians, and Ephesians. Now, when you meditate on the life of Jesus, when you read the Gospels, and I encourage you to read them over consistently, because when you do that, you get, you know, Jesus is right there. He's front and center. He's, of course, the the theme of the Gospels. And we see Jesus in his dealings with everybody, and we see his grace being poured out. And of course, oftentimes, I know for myself, when I'm reading through the Gospels, I'm, I'm right in the story myself. It's like, oh yeah, there's me right there. And there's Jesus dealing with me, and this is what Jesus is saying to me. But it's in the Gospels that we get this beautiful picture of the human manifestation of God's grace. Jesus was the walking uh, manifestation of the grace of God. So the more we meditate on the Gospels, the more we see Jesus, the more we will understand God's grace. But then, as I said, the declarations of God's grace uh, in the epistles, especially Romans, Galatians, and Ephesians. Now, I'm not saying don't read the rest of the New Testament, but what I am saying is that there are times and seasons in our life when we really need a re-grounding or maybe an initial grounding in grace. And this is where you're gonna find it, Romans, Galatians, and Ephesians. When I meet people which I do quite often, who are fearful about their eternal destiny, wondering if they're going to really make it to heaven. Are they, are they good enough? Or are they going to somehow fall off along the way? You know, when I, when I meet a person like that, I most often prescribe this for them. As a doctor of the soul, I prescribe this. I want you to go and I want you to read Romans 8 over and over and over again. Because Romans 8 is like the pinnacle chapter on the grace of God. It just takes all of the grace of God that Paul has been expounding in the first seven chapters of Romans and then it just brings it all to a head right there. And if you want to have security in your salvation, if you want to have confidence in God's mercy and goodness and love and his ability to sustain you and get you through and make sure you're in heaven, Romans 8. That's where you want to camp out because that's the message of Romans 8. And Romans 8 ends with that great promise that there's nothing that can ever separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. So we meditate on the life of Jesus and the great declarations of God's grace in the epistles. And then thirdly, in contending for grace, we must exemplify grace. We must exemplify grace. You see, grace calls for more than doctrinal subscription. It also must have a cultural manifestation or we unsay what we say. Meaning, having a a cultural manifestation, we mean this. Meaning that it can't just be taught and thought, but it has to be worked into our church culture 
and practice as well. In other words, we have to live out this grace in our churches and in our own lives personally. You see, this is the key. And I love this part right here. It must also have a cultural manifestation or we unsay what we say. In other words, if we are not exemplifying grace, it doesn't matter how much we're talking about it or how much we have it theoretically down in our understanding, it doesn't matter because we unsay what we say. See, I could get up all day long and talk about the grace of God, but if an opportunity comes along to be gracious and I am not, then I just unsaid what I said. I just undid everything that I said. You know, it's ironic that you even have churches. You, you might have a church that's called Grace Chapel, and I'm not talking about any church because I, I, there probably is, there's probably lots of churches called Grace Chapel. I'm not talking about them. But I'm just saying, you know, you might have grace emblazoned there on the, on the front of your facility. You might have it everywhere, all over the place. You're, you're all about grace and you're talking about grace and you're preaching grace and there's something uh, amongst the Reformed people, the doctrines of grace and you can have all of that. But if you don't exemplify grace, if you're not gracious, if you don't show people grace, you just undid everything. You see, it's to no avail. We've got to show grace. And Jesus, of course, did that and Paul did that. And we have got to do that as well. We've got to show people grace. Now, you know what I've come to realize? I've come to realize that many Christians who, who are, of course, technically saved by grace, they don't walk in grace. <laughs> they just have no grace. And, and I realize this is, a, this is a deficit in the church. But Luther said it, it's, it's hard to get it and it's hard to hold on to it. And you know, this happens. It's easy for grace to slip through our fingers and we grab onto something else. And you know, when, when Christians are judging and condemning and when they're hypercritical and when, you know, you didn't do this and so they're gonna, you know, attack you about that. When, when that kind of stuff goes on, this is what you know. You know that people aren't growing in grace because you know how you grow, you know you're growing in grace? You become gracious. It's not complicated. It's real simple. You become gracious. You become full of grace. And that's what we've got to do. We've got to exemplify the grace. We've got to show it. We've got to extend it toward others. People have got to see it in our lives. And as we just open the doors and as we invite and say, you know, come, as, as we've always done. But again, there are times when we can, just in our own minds even, we can get this legalistic thing going. And theoretically, we say, come. Yes, our church is open to anybody, but then somebody tries to walk through the door and we're like, oh, oh, oh wait, 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 wait. No, no, we weren't talking about you. You see, we have to be careful with all of that stuff because we can easily end up being the enemies of grace when we get religious, when we get into a place where it's about religious regulations. Remember, the NLT uses that term, religious regulations, rules. It's all about, you know, these little things that become big things, much bigger than they were ever uh, intended to be. And so... 
we've got to live out this grace in our churches and in our own lives personally. And finally, be prepared because if you stand for grace, you'll suffer for grace. That seems so not right, doesn't it? But listen, all you gotta do is look at Jesus and all you gotta do is look at the apostles. They suffered for grace. They suffered because they stood for grace. And as we stand firm on grace, we, we will suffer. It was Paul's unbending commitment to grace that brought him into conflict with the legalist of his day. But the thing about Paul that we need to see is he didn't back down. He didn't back down. You know, legalism is, is oppressive. And remember what, the, what Paul describes here in, the, in these verses here, four and five, the, the, they crept in, they snuck in to spy out our liberty, wanting to bring us into bondage. And that's what people want to do. They want to bring you into bondage. Later on, Paul's going to make it clear that these false teachers were doing all of this, that they might gain authority and control over the believers, that they might elevate themselves into a place of importance by, you know, we have these people under our authority and they do things the way we tell them to do. And Paul was fighting against that. And he was willing to be unpopular, even controversial. He was willing to be misunderstood and misjudged. He didn't relish it, but neither was he threatened by it. He knew that it must be so for the preservation of the gospel. Now, when you think about Paul, and as, as we're closing here, you know, Paul was, he was an interesting man. Uh, of course, he was an apostle. And he wasn't, like we said, he wasn't only saying he was an apostle. The evidence of his apostleship was there in his life. And the other apostles recognized his apostleship. Peter recognized it. James, John, they, they recognized Paul's apostleship. But even for them, Paul was just a little bit too radical. And we're gonna see as we move on in the chapter, we're gonna see an encounter between Paul and Peter that wasn't pleasant because Peter was in the wrong and Paul just got in his face and challenged him. And here's my point. My point is that Paul was willing to be misunderstood. He was willing to be unpopular for the preservation of the gospel because the fact is in Jerusalem, they had compromised the gospel. They had compromised it. They had allowed Judaism to have an undue effect over the gospel. So when Paul comes to town, they're like, oh, Paul, we've been hearing these things. Look at, look at how many priests there are. Look at how many Jewish believers. And they, they're hearing these things about you out there. They're hearing that you are teaching people to, not to follow the law. And, oh, Paul, just, you know, we got to get this sorted out. Here, take an oath and go into the temple and just let everybody know. Basically, they're saying, Paul, just let everybody know you're still a good Jewish guy and, you know, everything's okay. Everything's kosher. But you see, they had compromised. But think about this. Paul Okay, remember, we're, we're dealing here with Peter, James, and John. Not James, the brother of John, but James, the brother of Jesus. He's the head of the church in Jerusalem. James, the, the other James, of course, was dead by this point. He was um, martyred by Herod. But you've got James, the brother of Jesus, who, you know, he was probably a carpenter because that's what Joseph was. You have got Peter and John, who are fishermen, 
And you've got them kind of getting sucked into the whole Jewish religious thing. And then you've got Paul who's, what is Paul? He's like the rabbinical doctor. He's, he's the guy who knows Judaism inside and out. He knows it like the back of his hand. He knows it backward and forward. He knows all the nuances about it. He knows everything that's going on in the minds of these Judaizers. How? Because he used to be one. And where James and Peter and John could probably be intimidated by that, and therefore they kind of gave in to it a little bit, and there was a bit of a compromise in Jerusalem, Paul was like, no, we are not doing that. We're not going there because I know where this leads, and it will lead us away from grace. And so he fought against it. And he was seen as a bit of a renegade. He was seen as a bit of a rabble rouser in in some ways. He was kind of looked down upon as, you know, man, he's just a little too radical. But this sometimes is just what it has to be. Because if we're gonna preserve the gospel, we've got to insist on grace and grace alone. Christ's finished work and nothing equals salvation. That's it. Christ's finished work. He did it. Jesus paid it all, all to him we owe. It just finally, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the great preachers of the 20th century, he said this in regard to preaching a pure gospel of grace. He said, if your presentation of the gospel does not at times expose you to the charge of antinomianism. Now, antinomianism is uh, two Greek words put together that mean lawlessness. And we would, we would hear uh, antinomianism in our day described as things like easy believism or, you know, maybe a watered down gospel. So what Lloyd-Jones is saying is that your, if your gospel presentation does not at times expose you to the charge of easy believism or preaching a watered-down gospel, he said, you're probably not putting it correctly. If you are not slanderously reported from the standpoint of antinomianism, it is because you do not believe the gospel truly and you do not preach it truly. Those are serious words. And you see what sometimes happens is in our endeavors to help God, because we're not quite sure he can do it himself, we put all these qualifications on the gospel. So, you know, okay, we're presenting the gospel of grace, but then here, but let me just add these things. And and like I said, a lot of times it's not even intentional, but we're just thinking, oh, well, if I just tell people they can just believe in Jesus, then, you know, they're gonna just get the wrong idea and they're gonna think they can go out and live any way they want. And, you know, we gotta help God out. No, the truth of the matter is salvation comes through simply believing in Jesus. And guess what? God takes it from there. God, I, to say God takes it from there is even not correct because God's been involved in the process the whole time. He brings you to the place where you receive Christ. And then when you receive Christ, you see the gospel of grace tells us, like I said, to begin with, the gospel of grace saves us, sanctifies us, and leads us safely home. God's able And so we can preach the gospel of grace. We can tell people, look, you put your faith in Jesus Christ, regardless of who you are, where you are, what you've been doing, and he will save you. And a person who believes that and genuinely does that is saved. And God 
make sure that they will arrive to where he ultimately would have them to be. For the month of May, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Confronting Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin. Sickness, disease, broken homes, poverty, people young and old all around the world are experiencing distress. Have you ever wondered how a loving God could allow so much suffering in the lives of people he claims to love? Well, in her book, Confronting Christianity, Rebecca McLaughlin tackles this question and 11 others about Christianity. If you've ever wrestled with questions about Christianity or want to be prepared for those who are, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order Confronting Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Galatians. Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.